if you don't if you want to be a lawyer and you don't actually know any lawyers and you don't know what lawyers do you're going to struggle so you, you know to have people contemporaries in the profession that you can turn to i think is absolutely crucial to to actually you know what what we want to do is to build an army of young africans who are going to shake the world and and, and the sasha network has an incredibly important role to play in, in in achieving that i think it's a fantastic it's a fantastic initiative and, and i can only see it getting stronger and stronger in the months and years to come welcome to the shasha voices where we share stories of people who are building a better future today in this episode, we're joined by Peter Burden. Peter is an esteemed journalist, educator, and valuable member of the Shasha Network. In this episode, we'll be diving into thought-provoking discussions on journalism, education, the impact of the Shasha Network, and much more. So sit back, relax, and get ready to gain insights from the brilliant mind of Peter Burden. Peter, welcome to the Shasha Voices podcast. I mean, this is not your first rodeo with a podcast that has me as the host. So how are you today? Oh, lovely. It's very nice to hear your voice again. I think we spoke at the beginning of the pandemic when our local fish and chip shop were offering free fish and chips to nurses and doctors. And I think you were wanting to get the next flight over here, weren't you, when you heard that? So, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so look, it's great to be uh, great to be back with you again. I think a lot has happened since then, and I look forward to our conversation. As you know, we typically start our podcast sessions with some sort of icebreaker that allows you to ease into the space and have the audience have an idea of what you're like outside your credentials, right? I'd love to know. If you were to come back as anything in another life, what would you be and why? Oh my God, you catch me. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I would love to do in another life, and I think they're still gonna be uh they're still gonna be big. I would love to be a member of the brass section of Earth, Wind and Fire. I could think of no better cause in the whole world than actually being part of that amazing band that I, I, I've seen several times and uh, okay and what, what, what genre do they play they play I don't know what we would call it they play a bit of hip-hop they play a lot of uh, American soul uh, and it's happy music uh, fantasy September after the love has gone so many so many great songs and they have a lot of brass sections and they have a lot of trumpets and a lot of sax and that would be a lovely way to come back in a new life to entertain people and make people all over the world happy and uh, see them dancing to to my music. That would be great. I love it. I feel like you have sort of just embodied the entertainment space. I mean, having worked for BBC, doing journalism, now you're a lecturer. It's all coming together that you love to bring <laughs> people together. And yeah, in another life, you'd still want to do that. Very, yeah, very much so. And I and I think, you know, sort of on a more serious end, I mean, I mean, you mentioned my journalism. I love my career as a journalist, but I was always an impartial observer and uh, I was never a participant. I was always watching other people do things. But I think uh, the other thing I would love to do is to increase my engagement with people and, and perhaps be some sort of a peace negotiator, sort of going into difficult, disputed areas and actually trying to bring people together and try and bring a bit of mutual understanding. I know that sounds like a, a Miss World Beauty contest phrase, but uh, I, I would I would sure. love to have been a peace negotiator all, all over the world. For the sake of the audience, I mean, I already know you personally. So please tell us about yourself and how you got to learn about um, 
and how you how you got to learn about work and collaborate with the Shasha Network. Yeah, uh, very interesting, actually. I, I, I had a long career as a BBC journalist and then became a, a journalism and media lecturer. And that took me to the African Leadership University on the campus in Mauritius, uh, where I became a so-called expert in residence and did some masterclasses in, in journalism. And there I met the founder of the Sacha Network, uh, Farai, and I will never forget, he was on a panel, I was in the audience, and he was talking about education in Africa. And he just said about, you know, in where, where he came from in Zimbabwe, parents, if they had a choice of paying school fees or, uh, um, uh, or, or putting food on the table, they would choose school fees first because in Zimbabwe, for all its difficulties, education is so prized. And I thought, I've got to meet this man. Uh, he's a real, <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a real symbol of the Africa we want to, we want to see. And uh, I grabbed him as he came off the stage, and we've been very good uh, friends and collaborators ever since. So I, I'm, I'm delighted to see. He's really moved forward with the Sasha Network, and uh, it's part of a range of, of my own interests, really. As, a, as I mentioned, as a, I'm now on the board of the African Leadership University Trustees. Uh, I've just been made a fellow of my hometown university in the UK, University of Central Lancashire, and I, I'm a journalism fellow at the University of Michigan in the States. But I think of all those things, really... Everything I do is Africa-facing, and, and, and I think working with people like Farai really gives me confidence in the future of the continent. I, I know he's really making a difference, and I'm so proud of what the whole network is doing at Sasha, actually. It's really, really exciting. As Shasha Voices, we believe it's certainly going to amass quite a bit of attention in the coming months. What is the one thing you'd like everyone to know about Shasha Network's impact, all things considered? Oh, it's a big question, a very good question. I think really what, what Sasha shows is that young Africa has a deep well of talent. And mm -hmm. I think the talent is there. The opportunities do not always match that talent. But right. I think the great thing about Sasha is it creates networks. And, and I've worked in so many parts of the continent where people can feel quite isolated. You know, I've worked in schools where that even the teachers have never seen university application forms. And I think what Sasha does is actually present a community of talented young people who can strive for each other, inform each other, educate each other, and really sort of create what young Africa is capable of. As I say, the talent is there. Sasha matches talent with opportunity. And I think that's a really important thing for the future. All right, all right. So earlier you mentioned that now you're teaching media and journalism, if I'm not wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so given your experience in education as a lecturer in international journalism and Africa, how do you feel about the evolution of educating people within a space that is constantly changing and rapidly, I might add? Um, how do you try to keep the content fresh and relevant for your students to apply in real life situations? Well, I think we're all groping, aren't we? We're all <laughs> we're all a little <laughs> confused because things are changing so rapidly. I mean, I think one yeah. good thing, and, and and the pandemic maybe speeded that up even more, and sort of made us look at hybrid education and how we actually we don't all have to sit in classrooms anymore. We can actually tune into knowledge and and and, and training from from all over the world. So I think that's a really good thing. 
yeah. I think it's like a it's it's we've unleashed a beast and we don't know quite how to ride it, but we will. I think we're getting there. We're pulling every lever. I mean, when you think back to you know, I mean, some African schools I've been in, you know, a hundred kids in a classroom, and a poor teacher with a with a bit of chalk and a blackboard at the front. You know, that is not the way we have to do things anymore. We can use AI, we can use all our talents. And I think it's got to be for, for the good. I mean, the, 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 the resources are there. As I say, we're all a little bit mystified at the capability of them and what they do. But I think it can be, you know, I think human ingenuity will, will actually see that we will, come, we will come through this and create a better conditions for education. I mean, you could sit in a rural village in the middle of Africa and you can tune into some of the best lecturers in the whole world now. I mean, that was never right. possible even five years ago. So there's so there's so many possibilities, but it is confusing. And and sometimes I do yearn for a piece of chalk and a blackboard because it is it is easy. This <laughs> <laughs> is much easier. It's easier to navigate that way. In in your context specifically, how do you keep the content fresh and relevant for your students to apply in real work situations in this case? Uh, I, again, I think it is it is difficult. I, I mean, I used to I, I came from a print background and, you know, some of the young uh, journalists and the training journalists that, that, that I teach barely know what a newspaper is. I mean, we used to have it at my <laughs> university in the UK. We would faithfully bring a stack of newspapers in every morning. And when the students went home in the afternoon, that stack had not been touched because the everyone's getting access digitally now and that's you know that that's got to be an improvement but how do we keep things fresh i think really um we use the we use all the levers that we've got but also i think some things don't change i mean in journalism it is about accuracy it's about impartiality we live right. in an age where we're drowning in a sea of disinformation and actually some of it quite malevolent uh trying to push a certain propaganda. And so there are some things in journalism, and I suspect in other disciplines as well, that never change. And, and, and I think impartiality and the need to get it right and tell the truth as close as we can get it, that, that is, they are constants. And uh, I think it was, it was an editor of the Guardian newspaper many years ago, over a hundred years ago in the UK, said opinion is free, but facts are sacred. And I think all journalism um, students need to realize that the facts are sacred. We live in an age of opinion. And very often that opinion is not based on anything other than people's personal prejudices, whereas facts are the actual lifeblood of good journalism. And so teaching the importance of facts, I think, is still is still absolutely crucial. And that's exactly the same now as it was when I was starting out quite a few decades ago. With the values and the principles and the ethics and the morality of journalism in general, would you say are there um would you say there are any key similarities between when you started off teaching and now that you know, as you mentioned, there's like a boom in technology and um digital consumption of content? And what would you say those similarities are? Uh, similarities, I think. Persistence, uh, I think the willing to try anything and learn. Uh, mm -hmm. Curiosity, I've always said, is the most important tool that any young journalist can have. Just to be curious about the people in your society, to be curious about the world around you and want to uh, report on it to other people and, and, and actually make people see uh, what makes other people tick. I think, I think those things 
those similarities are still there, and I think they're all they're they're still very very important, and I, and I really think that uh, um, in terms of verification i think that is something we never had to deal with i mean when i was starting out we never had bogus things on twitter and facebook and instagram now we do and so i think a key difference is that young journalists need to learn verification i mean we've now got what do we call it voice imitation where you can make anyone say anything and it sounds like they're really saying it i mean this stuff is it's not on the fringes this stuff is real uh and just as disinformation is real so i think the crucial difference but in the way it's a similarity isn't it and the crucial difference is that we need to know the difference between what is truth and what is disinformation but i think that is increasingly difficult to determine that and that's we've just got to be on our guard and source things and double check things and it used to be in the old bbc is you never put anything on air unless it's been checked by two independent sources they, they've moved away from that now but it's not a bad discipline actually you don't just report what you what you don't just report gossip you verify and you check and those, those skills will never die um journalism media and broadcasting is commonly known for tv radio and now even social media so what would you say are the key tools and essential skills one must have in order to succeed in journalism or broadcasting or media rather and maybe you can tell us more about your journey getting into journalism why you chose it and sort of just how um the space has evolved within your time there yeah, very good question. I, I mean, I think I've always said the three things any journalist requires are curiosity, persistence, and and empathy. Um, and empathy sort of links everything because it is this desire to uh, to 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 uh, show what's going on in the world around us. Uh, in terms of my journey, I mean, I think uh, I, I think like in any career, a lot of luck, right place at the right time. Uh, I began as a student journalist at university where I was absolutely in love with print and we used to work, oh, must be 90, 100 hours a week getting out a weekly newspaper. <laughs> uh, and I think it took so long just because we enjoyed it. You know, we used to do all night sessions and uh, happiest, the happiest place I ever worked really was because we, we had that passion for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the business of journalism and media. And uh, I also worked on a local newspaper when I was at, uh, at university and I, I'll never forget I had five pages to fill a week so I had a front page news I had two inside pages of news I had a center page spread and then on a Saturday I had a bit of football coverage as well for the sports pages so I think you know once the, the key thing I think is to get scores on the doors if you like you know to in 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 those days, we used to have scrapbooks and we used to paste all our all our stories into scrapbooks so that when we went to interviews, we, we could prove that we had actually done things. We weren't just aspirational, but we actually had, had, had written stories which had been printed and, and published. And I think the same goes in, in, in radio and the same goes in TV. Uh, it's a matter of creating a track record, which you can you can then take. But I think a lot of it is luck, you know, in the sense I'll, I'll never forget my, my big breaks. We have a newspaper here in the UK called The Daily Express, it's it's not a very good newspaper, I have to say. It was it was quite a bit better in in those days. But uh, I I got a phone call one Easter Sunday saying, look, um, a guy was going to go to the Middle East. This was at the time of 
the Palestinian crisis when the, the head of the Palestine Liberation Organization was marooned in Lebanon. And as part of that ongoing, I mean, I mean, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is as intractable today as it was 30 odd years ago. And basically the phone call said, look, the guy who was gonna go has gone down with flu, he can't travel. We've got a seat on the plane. Could you help us out? And I think the other thing in journalism, if an editor says to you, can you help us out? You always say yes, because you never, you know, can you speak Spanish? Yes. Well, right. <laughs> you'll find, maybe not, maybe you can't speak much Spanish, but you'll find someone who uh, who will help you with that. So, I mean, never say no, whatever, whatever the assignment. But as a result of that, uh, that interview with Arafat, you know, now long, you know, long demised, but I, I became young journalist, student journalist of the year. And actually with that under my belt, when I went for BBC interviews, that gave me an awful lot of credence. And so one thing lead, leads to another, really. And I think the obviously the industry has gone through a revolution. I mean, the BBC I joined, we were still doing things on typewriters, you know, and if and, and there was ticker tape machines whirring away in the corner of the machine. Now everyone has access to everything 24 right. seven. Uh, so that, so the actual means of delivery have, have become overwhelming, but uh, it still comes down to sort of good writing, being able to spot the key elements of a story and, and getting them out there uh, accurately, but also as, as speedily as possible. So as I said earlier, some things never change. Uh, the technology changes, but some of the skills don't change. Um, but I, but I do think that the opportunities now are, are, are better than ever, in that there are more outlets, there are more websites, there are so many ways of getting into the industry. It's a tough industry, there's no doubt about it. It was always tough when I was trying to get in. It was not easy, and a lot of people tried and didn't make it. Uh, but but now you know there are so many outlets, and editors are desperate for content. So, you know, if you've got, if you can come up with some good content, you've got a very good chance of, of progressing in the industry. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, with that said, what would you say are like three or four things that um, early stage career individuals get wrong about journalism and how can they improve on that? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I think really it's be professional. You know, if you're asked to do something, deliver what you promise and do it on deadline. I mean, doing it a day late doesn't impress. Uh, do your research. So uh, what what you're what you're putting on a page or what you're putting on a screen, uh, you can you can verify and you can speak to as as something which uh, is a proven fact. But I think the other thing, increasingly, uh, I, I think it's about showing your empathy. And the, the great writer, Ernest Hemingway, who spent a lot of time in Kenya and Africa, always said to young journalists, if you remember your humanity, you can forget everything else you've been taught. And I think that's true. I think good journalism is about humanity and it's about empathy. Uh, increasingly, what we're teaching now is this so-called solutions journalism. And there's, there's an awful lot of solutions journalism uh, making headway in, in, in the African media world. And, and really by solutions, we mean you don't just report problems, you, 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 you report what's going on accurately, but also you suggest, is anyone doing anything to try and uh, alleviate the problems or trying to solve the problems? And it's still rigorous journalism. You're still looking at uh, a problem. You're not saying, it's not sunshine journalism, you're not saying everything's wonderful, but you're actually saying, let's not just sort of do the old negative stereotypes about, you know, Africa's problems. Let's look at what some people are doing to try and change things. And, and I think that is the future of journalism, particularly in Africa. Let's face it, we've had 
three or four centuries of, of negative reporting of our continent and, and, and the stereotypes still exist, which are negative stereotypes. So I think it's the duty of every journalist in Africa to actually tell the real story, to live the story where they live and actually say, look, there's, I mean, it comes down to, I guess, um, the founder of the African Leadership University, Fred Swanicker, when he talks about, we report Africa's challenges, but side by side, we report Africa's opportunities. And actually, unless we're reporting Africa's opportunities as well, we're 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 not telling the true story of Africa, which uh, I, I I hope you, I'm sure you would agree is 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 a bright future. And you know, I'm writing uh, a book at the moment on preparing people for the African century because 40% of the world's population will be Africa in, in by the by the later on in this century, and and, and we need to. We need to tell the true story of what our continent's about and its energy and its vibrancy and all the, the great things which we live with when we're right. on the continent. You know, you've mentioned a lot of things. There's a lot um, to do with impartiality, um, professionalism, um, telling the real story and also like looking at what the problems are and also sort of just outsourcing the solutions and seeing how best, you know, we could create the spaces for ourselves here. But, you know, as a lot of things have shifted back into some sort of normalcy, I would say, um, the drastic change from pre-pandemic to pandemic and now post-pandemic, um, dare I say you have the privilege of experience and a vast network and a remarkable portfolio in your hands there. So, you know, from your scrapbooking days to now um, looking at your LinkedIn and your education um, sort of lineup. How can budding journalists cope in this current space? Because, you know, there's so much competition to do with, like, you know, digital media. How, how, how can they make themselves unique or how can they best sell themselves in an industry that there's so much competition? Sometimes even just a pretty face wins um, to get in, in front of the camera. Um, a lot of companies are going for influencers to do their marketing or to sort of just garner up that... Um, content creation or um, attention that they get from their audiences. So how, what advice would you give somebody who's a budding journalist and how they can cope in, in the current space right now? Yeah, it's a very good question. And I think it's a dilemma every young journalist is now facing because, uh, you know, do, do you become a uh, staff writer on the Daily Nation or you, do you become an influencer uh, and make, make a living that way? I mean, there's so many different uh, routes now. Uh, and, and I think it's, you know, I, I, I do think it's very difficult. But I think really, if we look again, if we go back to challenges and opportunities, there are more challenges, but also there are far more opportunities. I mean, you've mentioned the digital world, the influencers, you know, you can build up an online presence. Uh, but I think the key thing is uh, there's a lot of, may I say, a lot of dross out there and a lot of opinionated, uh, unsubstantiated people writing that I think you've got to be true to yourself. You know, you've got to be true to your own values. And I think good values will always be respected and will always come through. So I think I think the key thing is get published. Now it doesn't you don't have to be in the East African or the uh, or on Nation TV or, or or whatever. You know you build build your career. As I say, I started out on a student weekly and a, and a, and a weekly newspaper in, in 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 the north of England, and and actually one step at a time. You know you just do your best and just look for those future opportunities. And they they sometimes they don't come. Sometimes they come very easily, but just sort of be a, be aware. Don't get stuck in a rut. You know, always look for opportunities. But I think the other thing is 
And maybe this leads us back to the Sasha network. It is about having a network. You know, don't, don't, no man is an island. No woman is an island. Uh, look, get involved with the network. I mean, when I was in that weekly paper, it was my joy to meet the, the so-called, you know, more established, more senior journalists and just go to the cafes, go to the bars, learn from them, listen to the stories, sort of absorb yourself in, in what is, uh, on what, on, on, on what, what the industry is all about and read, you know, look what editors are publishing. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't just think because uh, I like, uh, you know, I like a story, they're going to publish it. Look what editors want and try and work out the kind of stories which which they will want to publish. I mean, I think people are much more, we're all personal brands these days. And it's not just in journalism. I think in every industry, we are sort of personal brands and we've got to market ourselves a little bit harder than we used to have to do. But I think yeah. certainly, you know, there are more opportunities now than ever. And it's always going to be tough because a lot of people want to do this, but um, the, the the opportunities are there. The industry is desperate for content. And if you're providing good content, you're going to rise to the top. It, it, it sounds to some extent, it's like a doggy dog world. The highest bidder or the one with the best content or the most impartial take on something is the one that gets the most attention and sort of just sort of builds a career on a good footing from that front, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I think I think that's dead right. I mean, but but I think also you've got to have values and and you know your stories must be truthful and they must stand up. You know, anyone can write a headline grabbing outrageous story, but if it's not true, you know, your reputation is going to be damaged and you know your 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 career will be stymied. So in the end, I, mean, I think I think the great thing about social media is that it keeps people honest. You know, because if people are telling untruths in their stories, it will take about 10 seconds for people to react to that. And then you could, you know, you could find yourself down, down among, down among the dead bodies. Uh, so I think, I think it is about having values and it is about having empathy with people and understanding and, and that will strike a chord with people. But it's a long game. You know, you might you you might just hit it lucky on one big story. But if that story is flawed, you're worse off than if you hadn't written it in the first place. So the thing is, you've got to be accurate. You've got to be professional. Uh, if you sell a story to an editor, deliver on time. Don't don't mess around with deadlines uh, and do your research to 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 make sure it's a story that fits in with the genre of, of the editor of, of that channel or that publication is, is looking for. All right, thank you so much for that. I think I'm gonna let you in on something here, Peter. Um, up until probably from, from the age uh, um, 13, I'd wanted to be a journalist for the longest time. I don't know where that passion sort of just flew off. Uh, at some point I wanted to be an economist, a lawyer, but journalism or sort of just media and broadcasting has always been a space that I've been interested in and sort of curious about. So one time I did um, an internship um, at a media house and it was quite frankly some of the best experiences that I've had in terms of working for somebody else yeah. and I don't know maybe I might take it up so I just thought I'd let you in on that <laughs> secret of mine. <laughs> I've always said you're a natural I remember when you used to host those uh, those conferences that you were I always used to say who's that girl yeah <laughs> she's gonna make you well you're a natural and uh, you mustn't ever lose sight of that Thank you so much. So lastly, and unfortunately, I'd hate to end the podcast, um, but obviously we can pick up this conversation another time and sort of just build up on something else as well. 
but bring it back to your connection to Shasha Network and you know why you joined the network essentially is, I'm curious to know what enticed you about Shasha Network, aside from Pariah, of course, and how do you think the people listening can play a role in creating awareness of what we're trying to accomplish here? I think it comes back to the reason for I set it up in the first place in that people need each other. And, right. and as young Africans, we need to support each other and learn from each other and, and gain that sort of strength from numbers, really. That uh, So there's a group of people you can turn to. And if we're looking at career routes, you know, there's nothing, no one better than a contemporary to turn to, to say, well, how do I get this job? What am I doing in this job that I need to do to get to the next stage? And it is that network. I mean, maybe it's the the spirit of Ubuntu that uh, no one is alone. No, there are no individuals. We are all connected to each other, and and I think that's so important to create a movement of young people, young Africans who really can can support each other and help each other as they go through their careers. And and I just think that is so liberating for so many people. And I know it's quite. It can be quite isolating. You know. I mean, if you. If you don't, if you want to be a lawyer and you don't actually know any lawyers and you don't know what lawyers do, you're going to struggle. So you, you know, to have people contemporaries in the profession that you can turn to, I think is absolutely crucial to to actually, you know, what what we want to do is to build an army of young Africans who are going to shake the world. And 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 the Sasha Network has an incredibly important role to play in in, in achieving that. I think it's a fantastic. It's a fantastic initiative, and, and I can only see it getting stronger and stronger in the months and years to come. And that concludes our enlightening conversation with the incredible Peter Burden on the Shasha Voices podcast. We explored various aspects of journalism, education, and the significance of the Shasha Network. Peter, we sincerely thank you for sharing your valuable expertise and insights with us today. As we wrap up, we encourage you, our listeners, to stay connected with the Shasha Network and support their mission. Remember, your role in creating awareness about the incredible work being done here can make a substantial impact. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, to never miss an episode. We are definitely not forgetting the lovely space that made all this possible, East Studio in Upper Hill, Nairobi, for all your production and content needs. Join us again next week for another episode of Shasha Voices. Together, we can make a difference. And this is your host, Savannah, signing off.